Good morning, everyone. I want to apologize in advance for, I know there's, there's got to be at least some of you in the congregation this morning. As soon as you saw the Preparing for Christmas banner and you're thinking, oh, that's just reminding me all the things that I haven't done. I haven't uh, done enough shopping. I haven't done enough baking. And this is causing you stress right now as you're looking at that. So I'm going to move quickly through that slide if I can and uh, uh, move on. But Christmas is, uh, is, is uh, approaching, and uh, you've probably seen, they've, they've already started the Christmas specials, right? Um, getting a head start on old Christmas movies and uh, uh, different uh, things about, uh, about Christmas. One of the things that I've noticed uh, in recent years about Christmas specials, they've introduced a new, kind of a new, new uh, genre of, of Christmas special, and it's the debunking Christmas uh, documentary uh, that, that uh, comes in, in, in a number of different varieties. Uh, it's basically an interview style where they will talk to scholars who will look at various aspects of the Christmas story and say, no, no, it wasn't really like that. No, was, this is all wrong. And, and, uh, and, and some of the things are, are, are helpful. Uh, for instance, we learned that Jesus wasn't actually born on December 25th, Right. Uh, we know this because from the, the Bible teaches that when Jesus was born, there were shepherds watching their uh, flocks at night. And the problem is, Bethlehem is cold. When you, in, in December, the temperature often will drop down below freezing, and so shepherds in the middle of winter didn't typically stay out in their, in, uh, with their flocks in the fields. Uh, and... They only did that uh, from April to October. So many scholars now believe for just very hints, we don't have, have uh, absolute uh, uh, certainty, but probably somewhere, somewhere around September is, is the, uh, the preferred date for Jesus' actual birth. We're also told by uh, various people, or reminded, I guess, at least, that there weren't actually three kings that came to visit uh, Jesus, Right? Uh, Matthew's gospel tells us there were magi or wise men from the east. They're like, likely uh, astrologers of some sort. And although they brought three gifts, there could have been two of them, there could have been four of them, six of them, eight of them. We have, we have no idea how many of them there were. Three gifts, people assume, well, maybe there were three people. Um, regardless, they weren't kings, they were wise men, and uh, we, don't, we don't really know how many there were. They'll also point out that Jesus wasn't born in 0 A.D., there, there actually isn't a 0 A.D. They go straight from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D. And uh, the Bible, although we'd like to say Jesus was born 2017 years ago, um, we, we don't know an exact date. What the Bible tells us is that Jesus was born about uh, two years before the death of King Herod. And uh, our best guess for the death of King Herod is, is 4 B.C. So it's likely Jesus was born around 5 or 6 B.C. is our, is our best guess right now. Um, but regardless, the, the Bible doesn't give uh, specific, uh, specifics in terms of those datings beyond that. So there are some urban legends around the Christmas story. But I think what happens at this point, both in the Christmas specials as well as in just everyday people's impressions, they, they hear things like that and then they throw up their hands and say, well, we can't really know what happened. It's such a long time ago. Um, 
what, what, what did or didn't happen at that first Christmas, if there was one, um, nobody could really say. And so what starts as a debunking of uh, tradition surrounding Christmas quickly turns into a rejection of what the Bible actually does teach about Christmas. And those are two very different things. So some people give up to altogether. I, I visited, you, you know that when I have vacation days, I, I make a, uh, a habit of visiting different churches in, in, in the area. Went to one church and uh, I want to learn a little bit more about them. And, and so they, they're, they say quite proudly and confidently, we, don't, we take the Bible seriously, not literally. And the idea was that, you know, things like, what actually happened 2,000 years ago at Christmas? That doesn't really matter. We can't really be, um, we can't really be certain, but it's just a, it's a powerful story, none the same. That leaves many people confused as to what they should really believe. In the month of December, what we're going to do is to look at the Christmas, uh, the Christmas account. We're going to prepare our hearts for Christmas by uh, looking what, what we can know for, and to know with certainty about what the Bible teaches about that first Christmas. We'll look at the Christmas preparations of various characters in, uh, in, the, in the gospel accounts. And specifically, we're going to look in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel and uh, see how different characters set the stage or prepared for Christmas. Today, we look at a doctor's Christmas preparations, uh, the doctor being uh, a doctor named Luke. And Luke is interesting, particularly when we talk about the various urban legends that get people confused about, about the Christmas story because he was a very meticulous man. He aimed to set the record straight and forever shut the door on what I believe are three myths that get circulated around uh, Christmas time and may have influenced you in some way. They're myths that often will get in the way of us enjoying the full celebration of, uh, of Christmas as it was intended. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Luke's Gospel. And I'm going to read from chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. It says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Now, the first myth that Luke helps us to address is is one that we hear commonly today. It's a myth that Christmas was passed down by unreliable people. The idea is that maybe something happened 2,000 years ago, give or take, but it, it, was, it was passed along by like church power brokers that were kind of hungry for power, and, and so we can't really be sure what happened. So I'm going to try and get at the truth. Was Christmas passed down by unreliable people or not? And 
I will give you an opportunity to, to judge for yourself. And many people will read the Gospels or read anywhere in the Bible, and they won't really think about who wrote it. We, we know that God is ultimately the, the author. He guided the Scriptures and gave us his word, but he did, did so through people. And often people don't think about who those people are and uh, what, what, uh, uh, what, what some of the background of them is. Luke's gospel was written by a man named Luke. Paul refers to him in Colossians 4.14 as Luke the beloved physician. Now like today, uh, doctors in the first century, they were well-educated and they tended to be well-paid. He was um, uh, a guy who had a good career and a promising future. The earliest records indicate that he was a Greek convert from a city called Antioch. And if you've uh, spent any time reading the book of Acts, you know that Antioch was a place where uh, uh, the, the church really expanded into the Gentile world. Luke probably met Paul there before Paul and Barnabas set out on one of their missionary journeys. But as Paul and Barnabas returned from those gen- missionary journeys, he was, Luke would have heard that Paul had been beaten, been stoned, been imprisoned. And Luke no doubt felt compassion for him. He knew how dangerous it would be for missionaries to go out on a journey like that, but to do so, and you know, in, in some instances being beaten with rods, being stoned, being imprisoned in terrible conditions, he could see how those injuries, if left untreated, would have uh, damaging and long-term effects on, on their lives. Whatever the reason, uh, Luke chose to, uh, to join him in the work. He knew how dangerous it, it, it would be. So he left a lucrative career as a doctor to serve alongside Paul. If you get to the letter of Philemon, we learn that uh, Luke is listed among Paul's fellow workers. But there's no particular prestige in this role. He's, he's actually, there's, there's four people. Luke's la- listed last. He's just, he's just a helper. He's someone who is useful to Paul. Remember, though, that this is a period of history when Christianity is seen as a fringe cult. So he's gone from being seen as uh, high in status, respected by his culture, to joining a movement that is seen as, as fringe, dangerous, maybe heretical, uh, and, uh, and, and the danger and hardship that went along with that. It's also worth noting that he was a Greek convert in, which, in, in, in what at the time was a largely Jewish uh, Christian movement. And so while he would fi- feel uh, and experience a lot of opposition as they went and, and brought the gospel to, to various uh, places of the Roman Empire, he would also get... Uh, some of, face some of the difficulties of the early Jewish-Gentile uh, tensions that, uh, that, that the church went through. Clearly, Luke had much to lose in serving this early Christian movement. But he also had nothing to gain. We learn something of Luke's life and ministry from the passages in the book of Acts where he speaks in the first person. If you read the book of Acts, usually he's saying, and they did this, and then, and then he did that, and he did that. And then you get to several passages where he says, and then we did this, we did that. And so you learn, the, the, as Luke wrote the book of Acts as well, 
when he's talking about we, he's talking about things that he personally experienced alongside uh, Paul and, and, and others. In Acts 16, Luke is there as Paul and Silas are attacked by the crowd and beaten with rods by the local authorities just before they're thrown into prison. The only reason that, that Luke isn't also thrown into prison is he wasn't the prominent guy. He wasn't the, the main speaker. He was one who was content to kind of be on the, on, the, uh, on the sidelines, providing help and support. He wasn't the type to grab the spotlight. In Acts 27, Luke appears again as he and Paul find themselves in that terrible shipwreck. 276 people are going to drown in this, uh, uh, in, in this uh, terrible shipwreck. God intervenes to, uh, to spare their lives. But, but Luke li- likely uh, faced that shipwreck, floated on a plank until he ended up on, on shore with his life barely spared. Finally, in Paul's last letter, Paul writes to Timothy from a Roman prison. And we studied uh, some of this letter in the summer, and so some of you, you'll remember the, the, the kind of conditions that Paul was in as he uh, was in that prison in Rome. 2 Timothy 4.10 uh, says something about, about Luke, uh, but at the, at, as he does so, it's with an under, understanding that most of the people had already deserted Paul. They'd left Paul. They'd abandoned him. <coughs> they'd, they'd seen what he was dealing with, and Paul records these words, Luke alone is with me. Some water here. So as you read those words, Luke alone is with me, you, you see a man who, when everyone else deserts, when the opposition is too great, he, Luke is the kind of guy who sticks by his friend, who faithfully serves, never, gets into, never takes a prominent role, but is always there uh, standing by reliable, reliably. This isn't the kind of life that most med school grads would envision for themselves. He didn't, he wouldn't have, as he was going through his own training for his career, envision a life for himself where he was in and out of prisons, escaping beatings, dealing with various trials like the shipwreck. I explain all of that about Luke because you need to know that when you read these words, they come from someone who is marked by faithfulness and reliability. He epitomizes faithfulness and sacrifice. (coughs) And I feel like I know Luke because I've seen people like him. I've seen people like him here in this church, people who quietly serve in the sidelines, people who will come (coughs) come alongside, don't steal a lot of the spotlight, but they are faithful, they are reliable. The reason I give you that background on Luke is to show you that he's an absolutely reliable witness to this Christmas story. If you knew him, he's the kind of guy that you would implicitly trust. When he spoke, he doesn't, he's not the guy who, to, to come out with a, a big long speech or a lot of words, but when he spoke, you would trust the things that he'd say. If you heard scholar so-and-so saying, well, we can't really be sure whether the things that Luke has recorded here were actually true, you'd put up your hand and say, no, no, this is, 
This is the most reliable guy I know. If anyone could be trusted, surely Luke could be, could be trusted. You'd appeal to his humility and his selflessness. It's clear that Luke deserves to be listened to. The Christmas story has come to us through reliable witnesses. But maybe you've heard another myth, that Christmas was passed down to us in an unreliable way. Here are the ideas that Luke may be a reliable guy. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Luke is faithful, faithful guy. But the way that the, that the, that the Christmas story was passed down to us, it, it was kind of, that, that was unreliable, and so we can't really be sure. Maybe Luke was just passing on a legend. And so, although he's a reliable person, he was never intending that we would read from the Christmas story as if it was something that was true or something to be taken, uh, taken literally. Again, I'll let you be the judge. Many people will look at the Christmas story a little bit like the way we look at the story of King Arthur. We're not certain that there was a, 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 British, a British king named Arthur. We're not, we're not certain that, uh, that the stories that we have about, that, uh, about a king named Arthur are, are actually true. They, they're not true. They may not be true, but, but we are all agreed that many of those stories are, are good stories. Even if there was a king named Arthur, we don't know whether he had a wife named Guinevere. We don't know whether he had a sword called Excalibur. Uh, we don't know whether there was a, 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 a magician called Merlin. We don't know if he had a knight called Lancelot. Those are great stories. You just don't know if they're true. And we don't know, that they're tr- we don't know whether they're true or not because the only accounts that we have of those stories uh, come some 400 years after the events that they report to, to be conveying. And even it, when we talk about reliability of, of who passed them on, it, it's not entirely clear that they were intending to communicate history to us. But just that distance, 400 years after the fact, means that we probably can't say much about whether King Arthur actually existed or not or what can be known about him. The story of Christmas is different than that. In verse 1, Luke says that he's writing about the things that have been accomplished among us. He, he recognized that in his generation, something unparalleled was taking place. Something amazing was, was trans, transpiring among, among him and his generation. And he felt a compel, compulsion to investigate the details and to pass them on. The words accomplished among us, show that he's talking about present realities, not distant legends. He's not going back in history or trying to recount something that he's been told from, from hundreds of years ago. No, he's talking about things that took place in his generation, and he wants to investigate them and to, and to make them known. Luke's gospel was written and distributed probably by 62 AD, too early for it to be a legend. If I was to circulate reports, for instance, that, let's say in 1982, at the corner of Young and Major Mackenzie, I saw Godzilla. And I could, I could go on and I could describe this amazing encounter I had with Godzilla on New Year's Day, 1982, corner of Young and Major Mackenzie. 
I could try and say those things and try and spread information that I had actually witnessed that event. But if it didn't happen, it's too early for that kind of uh, message to, to gain a great following. Because as soon as I say that, in a, even in a, a group this size, there would be some people here that would say, no, wait, wait a second, Paul, I, I, was, I was at that corner in, 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 on New Year's Day in 1982. I didn't see anything like that. We didn't see any, uh, I, I'd been, I, I traveled that route back and forth to, to work every day. I didn't see any damage to trees. I didn't see any, any indication that there had been some big you know, green monster. There'd be nothing like that. There would be police officers that would come forward. There would, be, uh, there would be bus drivers that would come forward, neighbors that would come forward and say, that just doesn't add up. That, that doesn't make sense. I know that place, and I was, I was there around that time. That's impossible. And my attempts to pass, on, pass along a story about Godzilla at the corner of Young and Major McKenzie would not, not take root. They wouldn't gain traction. I could, I could do my best to, to, to share that message, but it ultimately would be seen to be not credible because there would be eyewitnesses to, to reject it. Luke's gospel, similarly, was written too early for it to have been a legend. The other thing was that it was passed on by eyewitnesses. In verse 1, he says that many have undertaken to compile a narrative. The events surrounding the birth, life, and death of Jesus, they were astounding to people. And so people were, were writing things down and recording them and passing along information about what was taking place. He mentions in verse 2 that he got his information from eyewitnesses. There were still many people who had been there, who had seen what had taken place. Luke would have had opportunity to speak with Mary and to uh, others that were eyewitnesses to uh, to various event, events, and he could speak with people that would fill in the details. And that was the power of the early Christian movement. People reported what they had actually seen, what they had actually experienced. John, for instance, says in, in his letter, uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you. He, here is a person who lived with Jesus, who walked with Jesus. He studied his life. He, was, he saw him up close and reported what he saw. Consider Peter's words. He says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. See, people in Peter's day were used to hearing good stories. They were used to hearing elaborate myths about Zeus and Poseidon and others. They were used to those kind of stories. And Peter said, that's not what this is. I've actually witnessed this. I was there. I saw it. Saying that you're an eyewitness changes things a little bit, right? I can tell you things that I have read about the Christmas story. I can tell you things that I've studied about the Christmas story. But if I tell you that I'm an eyewitness of the Christmas story, it changes things. If I was an eyewitness, you were going to ask me different questions. You were going to come to me and say, so I, I heard that talk, but what was it really like? What, 
Give me some of the details. There are going to be questions that come at you as an eyewitness. You have, you're going to have to speak off script. You're going to have to go and, and fill in details. And different people will ask you different questions. And the fact is, there were many wit- eyewitnesses. And if those stories don't line up, if those words and those answers don't have a ring of authenticity, the message stops. It doesn't spread. The fact is that that the message of Christmas spread because it was passed on by eyewitnesses and their words were seen to be credible. Their message was seen to be reliable. It convinced those who heard it. Consider how meticulously Luke and the other gospel writers passed on their message. In verse 1, he says that those who, from the beginning, were eyewitnesses, verse 2, those who are from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. This word delivered is a, a technical word for passing on authoritative revelation. Like, may, maybe you come up to me and you ask me what I did last weekend, and I answer, and you kind of half listen, and Maybe you remember about half of what you half listened to, right? The the message isn't really getting across. This word delivered is different than that. It was a technical word that they used when they were passing on something that you had to get right. It involved very carefully communicating the details of what took place and meticulously uh, uh, recording that that information to to uh, uh, to be preserved. Notice again then in verse 3 that Luke says, because I've followed these things closely from some time past, I've decided to write an orderly account for you. Luke's saying, I've been at the center of a movement whose events are transforming our world. So I figured, as a doctor, as a guy who's kind of into good process, as a guy who's kind of into details, I'm I'm not afraid of the books, I've felt... I have a contribution to make here. I felt that I have something that I can offer here in carefully investigating everything that's taken place. Verse 4, Luke says that he's done all this so that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So we don't have certainty on, for instance, the day that Jesus was born. We don't have certainty about how many wise men visited Jesus don't have certainty about those things because they're not spelled out for us in Scripture. But you can and you should be absolutely certain about what the Bible actually records for us about that first Christmas. The announcement of angels, prophecies given to men and women, the shepherds in the fields, the wise men from the east, the birth of a child to a virgin. The events of the Christmas story Yes, they're full of meaning and significance, but the point is that they actually happened. They, they, were, they, they were actual events that were too, too powerful and too significant to ignore. Luke the doctor went to all of this trouble preparing for Christmas so that you would be able to read the accounts and to f- have confidence, have certainty in them. He wanted you to have conviction that these things actually happened. That's how he prepared for that for, for Christmas. So Christmas wasn't passed down in an unreliable way. It was coming to us as eyewitness testimony that was meticulously transmitted. 
It, Christmas wasn't all, was also not passed down to us by unreliable people. You had selfless, humble people like Luke who would be implicitly trust, trustworthy. And they were heard, Luke was heard, and others were heard and believed because of the integrity that they communicated with. Now, in the coming weeks, we'll be looking more about what the Bible actually does teach about Christmas. But let's see how Luke sets this up and what he's going to say in these opening verses to address what I believe is a final myth, that maybe Christmas is an unnecessary tradition. More and more people are discarding the value of the details surrounding the birth of the Messiah and equating Christmas instead with just kind of a generic holiday of family reunion or nostalgia or just some general thoughts of hope for the the new season. Is Christmas an unnecessary tradition? Notice the language Luke uses in verse 1. He says, many have undertaken to compile a narrative. Do you know what a narrative is? A narrative is a record of a series of events that took place, right? Often people will say to me, all religions are basically the same. And when they say that, I always want to say, oh, really? Does, does your religion also teach that God became a human being in order to save the world? Like, I, I've never read Hinduism that way or, or Buddhism. Or Islam. Like, are any of them teaching that? And, and, but of course, they don't. that's not what they're saying. What they're really saying when they say that is, all religions are basically the same because surely what they are basically teaching is how to be a better person. But that's not what Luke says he's teaching. That's not what Luke is aiming to pass along. He says, no, no, there's a narrative. There are, there are some historical events that have taken place. He describes what he and others have written as the things that have been accomplished among us. There are teachings, to be sure, but those teachings flow out of some historical events that are too significant to ignore. And the problem is today that we want to sing peace on earth and goodwill to men, but just ignore the the historical events. They're too particular. They're too specific. Peace on earth and goodwill to men comes through the Prince of Peace, through a historical event when God became man and when that man died in our place for our sins on the cross. It's interesting that Luke doesn't just say the things that have happened among us, isn't it? Isn't it an interesting word? Things that have been accomplished among us? You're like, well, who accomplished them? Why does he say they've been accomplished? The word that Luke chooses for accomplished here has an important nuance. The NIV translation brings out the nuance with the word fulfilled. And, and uh, uh, it, it's, it, it brings out an important part of the, the word here. The events of Christmas and all that follow them are a fulfillment of ancient hope. They, they weren't just some things that randomly happened and people say, wow, that's really cool. How, how about that? A virgin birth and Wow, this is really remarkable. No, no, they saw them as a fulfillment of a long series of of promises that God had made to his people. Jesus' birth and life bring together the fulfillment of the Hebrew Scriptures. Over the course of 2,000 years, there had been promises of a coming Messiah, a king who would come, a savior. 
Luke left a lucrative career as a doctor in order to serve this movement and to make known to you and to me and to a, 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 a Roman a, official named Theophilus those, uh, so many years ago today, in order that we would see that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ fulfilled all of the messianic hopes. Jesus is a promised ruler of the tribe of Judah that we learn of in Genesis. He's the anticipated son of David. He's what Moses called, said, the prophet like me, the one who's coming. He's the one who would be preceded by a messenger, we're told by the prophets. He's the one of whom it was foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. He's the one Jeremiah announced would bring in a new covenant. He's the one that Isaiah declared would bear the sin of all humanity. He's a child that Isaiah said would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So let's prepare our hearts for Christmas by putting aside those myths. Putting aside the myths that can get in the way of our enjoying Christmas the way that God has intended for us. Let's hear Luke. Let's hear the word of God. And let's receive it with the confidence that God is at work to draw us to himself. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for all that you accomplished that first Christmas. We're grateful for the promises you fulfilled. I thank you for the many faithful eyewitnesses. Thank you for trustworthy people who diligently made a full account of all that took place. I pray, Father, for anyone here this morning who has gotten confused by all the talk of myths, confused by people who say they take the Bible seriously, but not literally. I pray that there wouldn't be anyone here who would celebrate Christmas and not realize what the celebration was really all about. Father, draw them to life through the Son of God who was born in the manger. And lift up Jesus in all of our hearts as we worship him as our Savior. We ask you these things in the powerful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.